What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is Tuesday, April 18th, the finale 10 a.m. episode for those of you who have been tracking it. Welcome to episode number 347 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier. And over the next 45 minutes, me, Jeff Fuller, Jeff Watala, just a bite with his blue logo, Harish Kumar, CyberSec JS, Akil George, and so many others from the Simply Cyber community. Gonna be shredding the top cyber news stories of the day, going after it hard. We'll be breaking it down. I'll give you my expert analysis and opinion on each of those stories and what it means to you as a practitioner. Or if you're looking to break in the industry, we got you covered. You will be asked in any job interview for cyber, what do you do to stay current in the industry? And guess what? This is a sick answer, y'all. <clears throat> Shout out to the people who are here early, 56 of you. Yeet, yeet, yeet. yeet. So before we dig into the stream, before we tear the, the roof off the top cyber news stories of the day, I want to throw a little love to the stream sponsors. Holla, holla, holla. Starting off with my good friend, Eric Taylor, who you guys will all get to know a little bit more intimately starting Thursday of this week, as Eric will be hosting Thursday and Friday's episode of the Simply Cyber Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. So look for that little treat. Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil. But no sweat. Barricade, so Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents and help those business owners out. Check them out at BarricadeCyber.com. Links in the description below. Guys, I'm telling you right now, I've said it a million times. I'll say it a million more. Yes, Aaron KG. This is the final 10 a.m. episode of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. It will be 8 a.m. going forward. <clears throat> Eric Taylor's calendar is right here on Barricade Cyber. Got a nice little picture of him sitting on an airplane. You can click here, click here, talk to him. Why would you want to talk to Eric Taylor? The TLDR here is that if you are in any capacity responsible for any part of information security at your organization, <clears throat> talking to someone like Eric and Barricade Cyber before bad happens goes a long way. So when bad does happen, which it will, you'll have him on speed dial. That's the deal, y'all. Also want to say shout out and love to XM Cyber, guys. Listen, organizations are overwhelmed with thousands of exposures across cloud and on-prem environments on a monthly basis. So reduce risk in an almost impossible task reducing risk excuse me is an impossible task you'll never really dig out of it basically but you can discover the most critical threats and practical tips on how to overcome remediation fatigue with a new approach which is taking the industry by storm um, with exposure management you can learn more about it in xm cyber's industry drop the state of exposure management in 2023 uh, i have I've got a bunch of paperwork here, so I can't dig it out right now, but I've been reading it. Uh, it's a good read. Where is it, bro? Bro, bro, chop. Where is it? But, oh, you gotta... It's, it's now reached folded status, where I can fold it and, and read it this way. Um, I've been reading it. It's good. A lot of stats, a lot of, a lot of info based on telemetry. Link in the description below. Obviously, follow that link um, so they see... Um, that it's coming from Simply Cyber, that would be cool. If you're interested in checking it out, I will tell you exposure management is uh, trending um, very interestingly, uh, but more about exposure management later or during jawjacking. I also want to remind you, and I saw a lot of people talking in chat about this, each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Brief podcast, in my opinion, is worth half a CPE. I've checked ISC squared and ISACA's policies for CPEs. This is a, um, you know, basically a, uh, an instructor-led webinar. I am a cybersecurity professional. I have decades of experience. I know what I'm talking about. I'm covering the top cyber news stories. This is a threat intel briefing. I don't know what more else you want to say. This is not a, you know, jawjacking, grab butt uh, situation. This is intel sharing. Okay. Uh, CompTIA, I'm not 100% sure about. Check the policies. But just know that if you are live, say what's up. In chat with hashtag team live. I see my left coast brother and Nick Barker. Maybe Brady McNulty up in here. 
<clears throat> if you are live, hashtag team live in chat. Thank you. Hit the like button. Joel B says it. Uh, hit the like button. Uh, it does go a long way. More about that later. If you're watching on replay, hashtag team replay. If drop links in the co uh, links, drop comments in the comments. Uh, I do love engaging with y'all in the comments, as many of you know. And uh, if you're team hybrid, which is a little bit exotic, means you got here late and you're 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 catching up to us doing two x um, read throughs. That's cool. Giddy up on it. Uh, welcome team hybrid. And then my favorite group, the hashtag team passive observer. Just say hashtag passive observer in chat if you are. Um, imposter syndrome, shy, introverted, whatever your reason is that you haven't stepped into the light and said, what's up, just take your first step and say, hashtag passive observer and, um, watch us welcome you. Hey, Philip Martin. Good to see you. Brady McNulty, my man, left coast pharma. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right, guys, let me take a slug of the coffee. Got the old simply cyber cup, little Pacific bold from the K cups. Oh, very nice. Remind me of the jaw jacking. Uh, I want to remind everybody. I've got some sick, sick, uh, like, Simply Cyber School stuff coming out. This Cyber 101 course that I teased earlier in the year is I've got big updates for it, including college credits. What? Yes. College credits. Very cool. Um, but more about that later. Hey, Tam Tamiz, Shelvin, Tamish, Tamish. Elvin and Chocobo, Chocobobo. All right, guys, sit back, relax. Let's let the cool sounds of hot news wash over us in an awesome wave. I'll see y'all at the mid-roll. From the CISO series, it's cybersecurity headlines. It's Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. Ransomware comes from Mac OS. The massive LockBit ransomware operation traditionally designed its encryptors to target Windows, Linux, and VMware ESXi servers. However, researchers at Malware Hunter team discovered a zip archive on VirusTotal containing new encryptors, including ones for Mac OS. This likely marks the first major ransomware operation specifically targeting Macs. The encryptors not only targeted modern Apple Silicon architecture, but also older PowerPC CPUs, so even your old XServe is at risk. Analysis by Bleeping Computer found that these lack the same refinement as other LockBit encryptors, indicating test builds. All right. The security oh, considerations of low code. Security Week's Kevin Townsend looked at why. All right, hold on. My my stream deck was not working. Okay, so LockBit ransomware, arguably the most pervasive ransomware in the ecosystem right now. So if you don't know about LockBit, pull up a chair and sit down because you need to learn about LockBit. It is ransomware as a service. It is pervasive. It is everywhere. It's attacking Windows, Linux, ESXi, as they said in the story. It is OS agnostic. It doesn't care. It's an equal opportunity threat actor. It's an equal opportunity ransomware. It doesn't care. It will encrypt all of your things and then charge you a pretty penny for it. Now, uh, Mac, if you have been in the school of people who think that Apple computers are invulnerable to viruses. Uh, hopefully this is a, um, you know, a, a sobering awakening that that is not true. That's never been true. Uh, it's just that there's less MacBooks or Mac OS. So threat actors were writing less malware for it. I would be remiss not to mention Patrick Wardle right now. Patrick Wardle is the single most um, informed authority on Apple computer malware and security research. The dude's awesome. He's out of Hawaii, former uh, three-letter agency dude. My my top three favorite speakers in person. Love his talks. Patrick Wardle, W-A-R-D-L-E. Check him out if you're interested. But here's the thing. Lockbit, no surprise, dude. They're making moves like a snake in the grass roundabout. They're going right after Apple devices, and why not? Now, what they do say is that um, the decryptors are kind of haphazard and thrown together indicating test builds, which means they're not really full mainstream Apple blowouts yet, but they are working towards it. So I would imagine that we're going to see in the next like four weeks, six weeks, um, you know, ransomware incidents involving Apple OS. Um, guys, it doesn't matter if you got an M1 chip, an M2 chip or whatever, you're running the old Intel architecture, they're coming for you. All right. 
The fact that File Vault exists on Apple and encrypt your data from a security defensive protection mechanism to prevent um, you know, theft of your computer resulting in compromise of data, they're just using that same uh, concept, right? Except they're encrypting it and you, know, you can't control it. Uh, I would remind everybody that backing up your devices, backing up your data is a good idea. Um, most Mac devices or Apple devices are end user devices. So it's a little less of a threat. What do I mean by that? Well, when you encrypt an ESXi chassis, you're screwing an entire business over typically. When you encrypt Active Directory, Windows Server, you're screwing a business over. When you encrypt Linux servers, right? Which is not uncommon to have Linux servers. They're usually very critical IT infrastructure. You're screwing a business over. When you're encrypting an Apple Mac, I mean, you're kind of encrypting like the CEO's computer, right? <laughs> like you're you're encrypting individuals. As far as I know, Apple has made multiple attempts in the past to like introduce a server, but it's just not mainstream. It's like only true Apple fanboys go all in on Apple server stuff. I've never seen it in a professional setting. So in my opinion, what you're going to do, like, here's what I would do. I would I would either take action and go to your executive team because they're the ones who typically want to run the Apple devices in a Windows environment and say, hey guys, like I want to make sure that we're backing up your stuff or that your critical files are stored in OneDrive or whatever it is because there's been an uptick in activity. In fact, for a fact, this will be the executive um, briefing in next week's newsletter, even though it's for end users because I'm telling you, Executives are the ones who typically operate Apple computers as their daily drivers. Um, and if they get encrypted, what's the impact to that, right? That's the real question. What's the impact? If your phone... So here's the thing. Not that I'm like, you know, JD Rockefeller over here, but if my phone got encrypted, I'd just go get a new phone. Like the, the level of impact to the organization is limited, right? So, you know, just... I, I would just say that this is interesting because Lockbit is being an equal opportunity person, uh, but the impact to organizational impact, the 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 impact to the business to produce product and do those things is not that very high, in my opinion. Yeah. Understanding the security considerations of low-code and no-code solutions remains critical. Often, security analysts don't have coding skills, but would benefit from automating time-consuming workflows. These automation solutions can help quickly deploy security workflows, potentially avoiding months of development. That can help replace paper forms with apps or automatically remediate simple alerts. The downside with low-code and no-code is that these tools require a lot of access to an organization, leading to a huge attack surface if they're compromised. If these automation solutions are used by one-person IT shops, they might not be prepared for that kind of risk. In larger shops, these tools easily could create sprawling shadow IT that can be hard to centralize. All right. It's is kind of funny that Tynes is mentioned in the story. Tynes, um, Tynes is one of these no-code automation shops. I guess here's the TLDR on this one, right, guys? Um, automation is all the rage right now. If you haven't heard of automation, <laughs> if you're already sitting in the chair... Um, because of Lockbit ransomware, because I told you to pull one up if you hadn't heard about it. Stay in your chair. If you haven't heard of automation, pull up a chair. Listen, security orchestration and automation response, I think is what the R is, SOAR, was like the darling of the SecOps world a couple years ago. And we are introducing more automation. If you've ever heard of webhooks, that is automation. API, application programming interface, is the introduction of um, automation. Now there are solutions that are like, uh, you know, click and drag, like little puzzle pieces, um, that abstract what the code is underneath, um, to what the functionality is above surface in order to make it more accessible and more approachable. And frankly, even if you had the skills to code it, you can move way faster if you're just clicking and dragging and doing orchestration and stuff like that. Right. Excuse me, if you're doing automation, not orchestration. So, but the problem is every time you abstract up a layer, you're abstracting. So you're losing underneath the hood, right? So like for a car, like we get in the car, we drive the car. We don't question it, right? If you want to pop the hood, like, <laughs> hey, Jeremy Williams, how you doing, man? What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. So check this out. You know, it's really funny. 
like just as a quick aside, anybody that pulls over on the side of the road because they're having car problems and they pop the hood, you drive by them and they're just like staring at the engine. What are they like with all due respect? What are you looking to accomplish there? Like what like what level of mechanical repair are you doing on the side of the road staring at your engine? <laughs> it always cracks me up. Okay, so we drive a car, we don't question the engine. Maybe we do understand that the engine does this and it delivers power to the wheels. You pop it up, you know that. But we don't understand internal combustion and, and like how carburetors work and all this other stuff, right? So every level of uh, depth you go in the granularity, like de-abstracting what's going on, yes, you understand the more nuances and how to um, exploit them potentially, but it's just way more complicated. So what we do is we bundle it, we bundle it, we bundle it, and we abstract it up until it's a very easy solution for anyone. Here's a car, you can drive it. Here is low no code operation. Drag and drop the pieces you want and it will do what you need. You want a, an alert to come in and then automatically quarantine, then notify the SecOps people, open a ticket in your SIM, change a policy rule for your phishing policies, one click, right? And you don't even have to click it, frankly. You can actually just set it up to automate when certain um, thresholds are met. So that's what's going on with this. But the problem is with abstraction comes potential for security vulnerability. So that's all this story is saying. And frankly, it's actually a good point. And one that just as a thought exercise, we should give consideration to when we are making these type of things. I would argue their concern in the story was more around one person IT shops um, giving too much access and crap to all this. Here's my thing. With with uh, webhooks and orchestration and stuff like that, you should be using APIs. You should not be using one domain admin account for all the things. That's lazy and terrible, terrible InfoSec practice. So in conclusion, you can do these things safely if you put in the extra burden and work to compartmentalize the accounts and access and API keys and all that stuff that you use to execute it. Thank you for coming to my tech talk. Israeli offensive cyber company shutting down. Calculus sources say the Israeli firm Quadream informed employees it will cease operations in the coming days. This comes after damning reports last week from Microsoft and Citizen Lab. Their researchers found Quadream's spyware tools being used to target journalists, advocacy groups, and opposition groups in at least 10 countries. Last year, Reuters reported Quadream developed zero-click spyware similar to that used by NSO Group. Calculus sources say Quadream hasn't been fully active for months. Okay, a couple of things Mon here really quickly. I, I'm seeing that <clears throat> there were some questions in chat about whether socks are still relevant in the world of low-code, no-code. Absolutely. Listen, you need a human analyst to be able to determine what is bad and what is good. Just like ChatGPT can spew out a bunch of confident you know, text, but it, it could be wildly incorrect, right? Threat actors are constantly pivoting. Con threat actors are constantly changing what they're doing, right? How the hell... Sorry, Estella and Kennedy. How the heck are um, computers going to know that this is no longer bad and this is no longer good? You've got to remember, most threat actors are living off the land. They're using binaries and DLLs uh, and functionality that is built into the computer for appropriate activity and action. So when you weaponize that appropriate activity in action, how do you determine that it is now malicious and no longer approved? You need a human analyst to do it, and that's what detection tuning is, right? Once you've got it refined, yes, then you can automate it to some level of degree. But if you just, this is part of the problem with dark trace, by the way, I was com commenting yesterday. Like when you, when you go, like when you say Jesus take the wheel and you just let automation go buck wild, you're going to run into all sorts of false positives, all sorts of production impacts, all sorts of um, just missed false uh, or, or, or true positives. It's a hot mess on fire, dude. You, you need someone operating the levers back here. All right, now, where was I? Quadream, shutting down amidst spyware accusations. Okay, oh yeah, hold on, oh, spicy! I still haven't done the soundboard yet. Okay, so Quadream shuts down amidst spyware accusations. So, first of all, obviously they were doing spyware. Obviously there was a lot of evidence to support the claim that they were doing. And finally, Kimberly, obviously Quadream had already raked in a ton of money. Here's my speculative hot take on this one. Please give me tinfoil hat, Jerry, if you will, squad members. Here's the hot take. It's just money, and the people behind Quadream are just humans. This thing will they, will, they will lower the umbrella, put it in the truck, drive to the next town like a traveling carnival, 
opened the umbrella and started under a new name called Quint Dream, right? Just to be a funny, um, you know, iteration or Quadream Plus Plus. Dude, they're not going anywhere. The spyware was making six, seven figure money. There's no way they are going to like let that straight cash homie go. All they're doing is taking the freaking heat off of them. This is the same thing that Darkseid, the ransomware threat actor group, did when they hit Colonial Pipeline and it flew too close to the sun. Before their wings melted, ultimately, Icarus, they changed their name to Black Matter. Then they changed their name to Black Cat. Then they changed their name to Alfie and started splintering all over the place. Guess what? The ransomware didn't change. The threat actors didn't change. The behavior didn't change. All that changed was the U.S. government could plant a flag in the ground and say, we took down Darkseid, blah, like way to go. Like, I'm glad that swift reaction happened, but it didn't change anything. And you know why? Again, cash, it's all about the cash, dude. There's no way this company, like this company got their hand caught in the cookie jar. It sounds like they had both hands, both feet in the cookie jar and they, they're running away. We saw the same thing with Cambridge Analytica. When that whole thing blew up, check out the great hack on Netflix. When Cambridge Analytica blew up, dude, they just shut down business. They obviously had a really effective product and they just disappeared into the ether. Read Nicole Pelleros. This is how they tell me the world ends. There is a murky, shadowy Intel ecosystem out there of movers and shakers, lords of war, sharing intel and, and tools like this all they did was get exposed there mark my words within a year there will be another story about how this company and this spyware like resurface somehow under a different name with different techniques there's no way they're leaving it on the uh on the floor or on the um it's just too much money dude tanda legislature approves statewide tiktok ban We've covered several U.S. states banning TikTok on government-managed devices, but now the Montana House of Representatives approved a bill banning downloads of the social media app TikTok in the state by a vote of 54 to 43. Good luck with that. The bill prohibits downloads of the app on any device in the state. The bill now goes to Governor Greg Gianforte for signature, although it's unclear if it will be signed into law. If it does, it goes into effect in January with fines against app stores and TikTok of $10,000 per day for violations. Okay, here's a million different things. Montana starting the push for banning TikTok. Cody Kinsey might want to, I, I, I want to get his thoughts on this. Here's the deal, guys. It's illegal to download TikTok. It's illegal to download TikTok. So if you already have TikTok installed, is that mean you're not violating the law, first of all. Second of all, yes, on Apple devices, they can control through the app store downloading TikTok, but Android devices are wildly more open. You can sideload apps. You don't have to go, you can go through Google Play Store or other stores. So what are they gonna do? Like, how are they going, like, hey, give me your phone, like illegal search and seizure. You get, you get pulled over for speeding and they take your phone, Point it at your face to unlock it and then scan through your apps. That seems invasive. Maybe they're going to check your network activity to see if you're accessing known TikTok IP addresses. If only there was like some type of virtual private network technology that one could use to access these devices. Hmm, we should look into that. Okay, so there are ways at the host level to circumvent this law. There are ways at the network level to circumvent this law. The only thing that I think we can here's another thing like the only way i could see it is like okay so i live in montana and i film myself doing like the newest like you know whatever like you know dance craze whatever this is okay that's the new dance craze hashtag dance craze okay like if they see me on tiktok doing that have I violated this law now because i'm producing content i could argue that i was not in montana at the time that i did it um, it's not illegal to produce content and publish it to TikTok. It's illegal to download um, the app. Is it illegal to use TikTok through a computer workstation, not on your mobile device? Okay. Now, don't get me wrong. I think TikTok. I don't. I think TikTok, for many reasons, I don't let my kids use TikTok. I think TikTok is not good. Um, I think it's. I think it's got long-lasting ramifications for society and all these things. But 
telling a private citizen that they're not allowed to use it um, when it doesn't really violate any like civil rights. It, it seems like a, it's kind of a civil right thing in, into itself, right? So yeah, this just seems like kind of a flex. I don't see it being enforced in any way. Obviously the first time it is enforced, there will be a massive news story. Um, and I think, what was the, I think the penalty is pretty strong, right? I think the penalty is pretty strong. Violations could carry $10,000 per infraction. And the penalties apply to companies rather than individuals. So what the hell, what does that mean? Like what, like, like companies aren't endorsing. This is dumb. This is so dumb. Where's my sound effect for that? Oh, this is so dumb. For real. <laughs> I forget exactly the, the thing, but that this this needs to be. This is saber rattling. Whoever wrote saber rattling, like this is saber rattling. Like this is a law that makes big splashy headlines, but it doesn't really have teeth. It won't be really enforced. What's up, Travis W Team Hybrid? Welcome. And now a word from our sponsor, Pantera. This episode of Cybersecurity Headlines is made possible in part by Pantera. Today, over 60% of cyber attacks involve the use of exposed credentials. Now for the first time, security teams can address this critical threat head on. Pantera collects an organization's leaked credentials and automatically tests their exploitability across the external and internal attack surface. Pantera's customers find that leveraging the Pantera automated security validation platform as part of their exposure management strategy increases their ability to identify security gaps, improves the efficiency of remediation processes, and maximizes their security readiness. To learn more, visit Pantera.io. All right. Vice Society. So not to be confused with Pantera, vulgar display of power. Excellent. Um, so it's the mid-roll. You know what we do here, guys? Want to take a hot minute and thank all of you for being here. Thank you all so very much. I see 192 of you. Not bad for a Thursday, a Tuesday, 10 a.m. show. Remember, all episodes going forward are 8 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, I hope it works for most of you. And uh, sincere apologies if you've been hardcore team live and this is going to impact you in a negative way. I, I had to do it, though. Um, thank you to the stream sponsors for making it possible for me to deliver this in uh, a daily fashion. It's hard work, and I genuinely appreciate the support. Thanks to Barricade and XM Cyber, as I laid out, but also want to say a little love to my buddy, Brandon Poole over at Panopsi for all the services they provide, especially Michael Vito in the Philippines. Good to see you, Michael. Panopsi Security can deliver quantified risk assessments, but Jerry, I don't understand. What is quantified risk assessment? Well, friend, I'm glad you asked me. When we do the, like the red, yellow, green qualified risk assessments, they are qualified. There's a lot of subjectivity to it. Quantified risk assessments still do have some level of subjectivity to it, but it's based on statistical evidence, threat intelligence, fact-based evidence. Panopsi Security can come into your organization, look at your people, your process, your technology, use threat modeling based on evidence that already exists in the space relative to your actual industry, and then like generate out a quantified risk assessment, which will give you statistical percentages of suffering in actual specific cyber incident. For example, you might find out that you have a 75 to 85% chance of hitting, getting a ransomware attack next year, but for a small investment in multi-factor authentication or privileged access management, you can significantly reduce that risk. But when you have numbers and evidence and percentages, business leaders can actually make an informed decision. When you say you can go from yellow to green if you invest money, that doesn't really resonate. If you say you can go from 75% chance of a ransomware incident, which has on average $150,000 of expense associated with it, down to 12% of a ransomware incident chance, only for like a $30,000 investment. I know I just said a lot of stuff, but basically what I'm saying is you can spend 30 grand to save yourself from losing 150 grand. Is that something you're interested in? High five. They love it. Call Penopsi. Links in the description below. They know what's up. Simply Cyber Community Challenge, my friends. I want to bring it up right now and just say um, Pursuit of Bliss nailed it yesterday. Why is this number wrong? So Latricia J, uh, Pursuit of Bliss had the, um, the baton yesterday. Hopefully Pursuit of Bliss is in chat right now. If you can, hold on, what did Brandon S do? 
Brandon S. What did we do? Brandon, 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 Brandon. Good morning, all. Past A-plus last night. Yes. Nice job, Brandon. Nice. Little little Miley in there. on. So if uh, Pursuit of Bliss can tag somebody for the Simply Cyber Community Challenge, I would genuinely appreciate it. Uh, let us know who you're going to tag. And that person, please go to... Um, LinkedIn and drop the Simply Cyber Community Challenge hashtag in a post on LinkedIn on what their cyber why is, what's their story, and have everybody in the Simply Cyber Community go connect with them, comment on their post, connect with the people in the comments, build your own network with like-minded professionals, and start professional networking today. It will be so, so, so valuable, I believe, with 100% certainty, okay? It is Tuesday, which means it's Tidbits Tuesday, which means I share a little personal story of myself, and I want to share with you guys. I, so I went to, um, I drove to uh, a, a seven-hour drive, uh, One Direction, this weekend, and I listened to a new podcast that someone turned on to me, and I want to share it with you. This is 60 songs that explain the 90s. This is an unbelievable compilation podcast. Well done. Well done. Rob Harville does it. It is excellent. If you are, I would say, between the ages of 35 and 48, this was so nostalgic, so excellent, so wonderful. Um, I've listened to the De La Soul one. I've listened to the Green Day one. I've listened to... Um, I didn't listen to the Vanilla Ice one. That's on my 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 map. Ice Cube one's in there here. Pantera made it in here talking about um, vulgar display of power. This is just such an excellent podcast where he is a music critic. He knows what he's talking about. He's very engaging. Uh, he really breaks down the band, where they came from, the story. The Weezer one is fantastic. I was actually kind of disappointed in the Rage Against the Machine one. Uh, but anyways... I really love this, and I want to share it with you. Give it a shot. I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, the final thing I'll say is that each episode's like two hours long, and the first part is him breaking it down, and the second part's an interview. I did not care for the interview element of it, so just the first part was my jam. Uh, but give it a shot, and I think you'll really enjoy it. All right, so uh, Pursuit of Bliss tagged Brandon S. Congratulations on passing the A+. Brandon S., let me know in chat if you're willing to accept the baton and we can pass it on to you. Let's continue on. Using PowerShell tool for exfiltration. Researchers at Palo Alto Networks report that the pernicious ransomware organization began using a PowerShell-based tool for data exfiltration. The researchers found not using external malicious tools is increasingly common as using PowerShell makes it harder for external tools to detect. This particular tool looks for mounted drives on a system, then recursively searches to a root directory to exfiltrate data over HTTP. Palo Alto says its exclusion criteria shows a professional level of coding. All right, all right. So if you're between 35 and 45 or your base case, uh, <laughs> my thing is you can, ooh, look at this. Hey, you, how you doing? Um, like it's it's just excellent get into it all right brandon s accepts very nice i know jenny housley couldn't be here today so i'm just gonna um type this in here brandon s okay cool um all right so here's the deal they covered this in the news yesterday but it's worth mentioning two things one vice society ransomware uh tier two ransomware um they are doing good stuff um as far as threat actor behavior goes they're they're advancing Looks like they're using some type of uh, highly sophisticated developed piece of PowerShell uh, to run code. You can see it basically w1.ps1, which is the PowerShell uh, uh, file extension. Hold on one second. Oh yeah, that's fine, Joel. Um, I'm okay with that. Um, I know when I say great stuff, it, it's like one of those like hat tips to the threat actors. I don't support or endorse them, but at the same time, um, yes. Okay, so uh, PowerShell, um, it iterates over the drives. It basically, what, what's it doing here? Iterates over the drives. And I, I don't actually understand what it's doing, honestly. But it, it basically is looping through your drives. Uh, again, this is living off the land using PowerShell. Um, they have access to the code now. So obviously, um, detection tuning engineers can map, uh, look for IOCs and, and kind of discover this. 
Um, the, the only other thing I would say, like, obviously be careful of this. This would suck to get hit with it. The other thing I would mention here is that Palo Alto Unit 42, they haven't come up in the news le lately, um, but they are another, like, legit um, Palo Alto uh, Unit 42. This is another, like, one of those um, security research groups that are definitely worth mentioning. Palo Alto, a lot of people don't know it, Israeli-based. Um, awesome company, great products, great security products. But the the Unit 42, they do excellent threat research. Here, I'll put a link in this chat. Like, definitely get in, get in and get on that. Uh, my Cyber 101 course, I actually have a whole section on um, threat intel, and Unit 42 is absolutely covered in that section. Definitely worth checking out. Cool stuff that they're doing over there. Um, this Vice Society, like, just I hope you don't get hit. There might be IOCs somewhere in here. Um, yeah, I mean, it says that the data, the, the PowerShell won't exfil data uh, less that's less than 10 kilobytes, but really like what's less than 10 kilobytes. So I guess this is just like a data exfil. Um, it's, this is the data exfil piece of it. So this has nothing to do with Vice Society's encryption mechanisms. This is just how they exfil data. So watch out for PowerShell, um, you know, basically uh, bundling up a bunch of data and then opening network connections. Operation Shamrock targets pig butchering scams. Yes. We've covered FBI warnings about the rise of so-called pig butchering scams. These outpaced business email compromise schemes in 2022 in the U.S. with victims tricked into sending cryptocurrency on the promise of an investment return. Now, Santa Clara County Deputy District Attorney Aaron West wants to bring local law enforcement to bear on these cases, saying it's no longer acceptable for local law enforcement to just say, we don't do crypto. West launched Operation Shamrock to help law enforcement and other stakeholders focus on the issues of education, seizure, and disruption for these scams. Domino. Good. Pig butchering has taken over as like the crime du jour. Now I will say ransomware is obviously more advanced, but pig butchering is like, I feel like pig butchering is like the 2023, you know, Nigerian prince scam kind of thing. Like it's, it's like a, it's a fraudulent scam. Um, it, it, it preys on victims. It's got a new little angle because they give you a little bit of money to make it seem But it's definitely um, a more advanced one because they they'll they'll give you some money to make it more believable that they are legit. Uh, and I appreciate that this district attorney is like enough is enough. Um, threat actors are operating in crypto. You can't say we're not doing crypto. So she's going after it uh, or or leading the charge. I love this. This is educating um, law enforcement on how to disrupt organizations. Um, how to, you know, identify these organizations, how the schemes are operated. Um, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, let's get a little. I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it. Love it. Love it. Yep. So this is totally on brand. It is crypto and I do love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, it's too bad that like, a like with all due respect, like that, uh, the Bay area prosecutor, like uh, a lawyer, uh, like just got fed up and had to like do something about it. You would, you'd almost prefer to help to see this get, um, brought up in like the federal space, like maybe CISA, maybe CISA. Where are we at, Jen? Where are we at, Jen? Dun, 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 dun. But you know, whatever, somebody's doing it. Let's move forward. Let's all work together. Thank you, Aaron West for your Operation Shamrock. I hope it, I hope it gets legs and takes off in a much, um, a much wider fashion. You can see the FBI's IC3 has been around for a while, but we really need to uh, disrupt these crypto things, even though crypto is worth like junk now and crypto winner and all this trash. Um, it's still the, you know, monetary vehicle of threat actors, either that or Best Buy gift cards. But I think it's more on the crypto space. Let's line up for Fin7. Researchers at IBM Security X-Force published a report detailing how the newly dubbed Domino malware strain developed by the Russia-based Fin7 cybercrime group has been seen in use by members of the now-defunct Conti ransomware organization. The group uses Domino malware for follow-on exploitation once it compromises a system delivering info stealers. Researchers began seeing Domino in the wild back in October 2022. Other ransomware operators have used Domino since then, but only sporadically. Chinese threat... Okay, so check this out. 
should definitely be should definitely be um, mindful of this. Okay, so here's the deal. When I see this title, this is scary. Fin Seven and Ex Conti. Really quick, gather around, children. This is uh, you know, the elders, the people with the gray beards in here. Fin Seven, prolific Russian threat actor criminal group. They were unbelievably good at stealing money. They would hit banks all over the place. They had an entire like workflow. They had money mules. They were good at breaking into banks. Then ransomware came on the scene and they were like, what? Like, it's so much easier to make so much more money on ransomware that Fin7 basically just abandoned, like breaking into banks and became ransomware. Conti, until the Russian-Ukrainian conflict caused them to implode in a, the most spectacular fashion ever, Conti, aka Wizard Spider, was like a tier zero level threat actor group. The Conti League's papers came out. We found out that they had like 100 employees. They had an HR department. They had a development team, a QA, QC team. These guys were legit, legit business. To see the two of them tag teaming or joining forces is nauseating. I don't know if they're going to give themselves a, a fancy name like Finn Conti or whatever. Uh, they're probably not going to use Conti simply because um, of of before. But my point is, this is scary that like, this is kind of like when Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan, like we're a tag team and you're like, oh, this isn't good. Like, like nobody's going to take down them. Right. Um, that's what I'm seeing here. So domino malware uh, attacks. It does. I'm not sure what the domino malware does. If I had to guess, it's some type of um, exfil, data exfil information stealer and ransomware. Oh yeah. See, lesser known information stealer. Okay. And facilitates follow on exploitation. So as expected, um, this domino ransom, um, malware gets in and what it'll do is it'll do information stealing. This is very much like what TrickBot used to do. If you guys remember Emotet TrickBot, it'll punch a hole in the side of the, of the business, get in, suck out a bunch of data, and then enable the download of additional payloads, typically ransomware. It was, uh, for a while it was, um, Emotet Trickbot and then Ryuk or Emotet Trickbot and Sodenboki. Sodenboki? I, I could never really say that correctly. Um, Trickbot's here. Um, and they deliver Project Nemesis information stealer or additional backdoors like Cobalt Strike, which we've seen numerous times. IBM X Security X Force Security Researcher. Um, so I like Unit 42 is good. IBM Security X Force, similar. Uh, kind of outlet of doing intel and threat uh, security research on active incidents and stuff like that are, are totally really good. And you should bookmark them because they are really good. Um, oh, yeah. See, they talk about Ryuk. Okay. So, I mean, there's just saying a lot of what I said. Ooh, another little graphic. This one kind of mailing it in, right? This is a Microsoft PowerPoint smart art. I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to hold them too. Uh, to too higher standard, but you could see the domino. Um, it comes in encrypted so it can get past EDR. It XORs out, it then sets up C2 and starts getting its second stage payload. Um, and off it runs. All right, so I guess the deal here is keep an eye on domino malware, continue to practice, um, you know, the defense in depth best practices, IOCs integration, pot potentially like EDR, EDR and firewall automatic um, updates like Palo Alto's wildfire and stuff like that to hopefully prevent C2 traffic from going out. But dude, these guys are literally um, top tier and their combined forces together um, is kind of scary. So I, I don't think this is the end of Domino. Actors use red team tools and attack. The Google Threat Analysis Group reports a China-affiliated threat group used its Google Command and Control red teaming tool in an attack on a Taiwanese media organization. APT41 orchestrated the attacks, sending phishing emails with links to password-protected Google Drive files. The group used the tool to send commands from Google Sheets that exfiltrates data to Drive. The group previously used the tool in a July 2022 attack against an Italian organization. Google said it increasingly sees China-based attackers using open-source red team tools like Cobalt Strike in attacks. 
It also found malicious actors increasingly using tools written in Go due to its cross-platform compatibility. Okay, quick little fact check. Uh, the guy who, the, the, the podcaster who just said that made a mistake. He said open source like Cobalt Strike. Cobalt Strike is not open source. Sliver is open source, right? It's a small detail, but I just don't want people to think Cobalt Strike's open source, okay? Secondly, um, there's a lot to unpack here, okay? So first of all, um, just to put it aside, we, we, we're like getting, hold on, where, I want the, where's my, way to go. Uh, so we talked about IBM Security X-Force. We, we talked about Palo Alto Unit 42. Google Threat Analysis Group, there's another great one, right? That's another great one to bookmark. Another great one to get threat intel. Also, Microsoft Security Intelligence is another good one. So there's the first thing. Second thing, um, I have flipped out multiple times on stream, and I won't do it now. But it really, if you're new here and you didn't know this, you should know this. Threat actor groups have multiple names. So when you hear of like Axiom, Barium, BlackFi, Hoodoo, Winty, APT41, it's all the same. Different security vendors will name things differently so they can have the name, so they can own it instead of using a competitor's name for that threat actor group. And it's infuriating to me because it's, it's confusing to people new to the industry. And it's difficult for me to talk to Joel Belton as, you know, as a threat intel person say like, oh, hey, we're protecting from Barium. He's like, well, have you thought about protecting from Winty? And we're like, oh, and we spend time, energy, and effort cross and talk and cross each other until we figure out we're talking about the same thing. Okay. So, that, so that's the first thing you should know. Third thing you should, or the second thing you should know. The third thing you should know is that APT 41 is super legit, super legit. I think they might be deep Panda. If you're like a fire eye person, APT 41 is China's cyber espionage a team, their varsity squad for cyber espionage. And you could see here that they're robbing Taiwanese media organizations for intellectual property. Shouldn't surprise you. They're using an open source tool, probably because Cobalt Strike has played out like eight ball jackets. Ooh, you see what I just did there? That's a tribe called Quest reference. Um, GC2, I haven't heard of that one, but it could be just like Sliver or just like any of these other open source C2 instances. They're using it and they're also using Google Drive and Google Docs to share information, Google Spreadsheet, okay? So the, the TLDR here is threat actors are moving to different non-Cobalt Strike C2 instances. They're using Google Drive and stuff to share information, which is gonna be really difficult to block because no one's gonna block Google Drive in any business. No one's gonna block OneDrive in any business because there's so much legitimate use cases for those and the threat actors know it so they're going to abuse it that's another thing you could just drop in an interview talk about how threat actors are effective because they use not just live off the land but not just live off the land but also live off the the cloud landscape if you will uh and hide inside the um in the noise if you will all right and then of, of course like no surprise china attacking taiwan Okay. Ooh, hold on really quick. We got a graphic here. Um, I, this, this is kind of a funny target. <laughs> uh, whoever made this graphic, uh, my, my, my applause to you. Okay, so the attack workflow, it pulls a Google spreadsheet using some type of automation. Um, it sees a command in a spreadsheet, a new cell. It executes the command, downloads to Google Drive, and exfiltrates the data. Misspelled exfiltrate. All right. This week on the CISO series podcast, we're going to be talking about the problem All of right. holding on to dark data. All right. So let's do some music really quickly. Um, what are we going to do? I like this one. All right, guys, if you were here just for the news, we crusted 200 people today. So hello and thank you for joining us. This was the final 10 a.m. show. Uh, every show going forward will be 8 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, with with very few exceptions, and those exceptions will be communicated well in advance, uh, just so you guys um, do not miss that. Now, if you're here just for the news, I bid you good day. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Tuesday, and we will see you tomorrow at 8 a.m. If you're here for a little jaw jacking, where we you know hang out a little bit, I answer questions. Um, let's do that right now. So uh, 
I do love, I, Shakira's right, I do love a good infographic. For me, it's so valuable to communicate complex topics in visual mediums because you can, a picture says a thousand words, right? Would you rather read a thousand word blog post or look at one little graphic, right? For me, I'm all about time. Like, like I have so little time um, that, but I, I also don't want to sacrifice quality, content, knowledge. So for me, pictures are perfect because they give me all the knowledge and they're really respectful of the time. Edward Moore, thank you, Dr. Ozier. Good to know on the multiple names for tech groups. That's dumb, but good to know. It is, it is so dumb. It's so dumb, but it, dude, it took me a while to figure that out. Like I was like really um, confused by it for the, for the, for the longest time. Yep, Joel Belton, it's a scalar variable, right? Scalar variable on how much it says. Um, Got to run. We'll see you, Alicia Jerry. Take care. Ooh, Security Plus study group. Yes. Nailing it. Nailing it. Nailing it. No, the w, the Western Digital Breach did not have an update on it. Um, I did see here, for what it's worth, we can do a little, um, we can do a little Western Digital thing. Eric Taylor of Barricade on LinkedIn actually wrote a post. Um, well, you could see there's there's some inappropriate language here, <laughs> um, but you could see uh, Western Digital appears to not be paying the ransom, and the threat actors are very upset about this. Um, they're saying that they're going to release priceless artifacts and sell priceless artifacts. Um, Basically, threat actors are upset because they've proven that they own Western Digital and Western Digital just told them to suck an egg, take a hike, not interested, move along. So Joel Belton says that there's a reason for many names because of error and attribution. Okay, so I could see that. So the, the FireEye people are doing their threat intel research on this threat actor and they're wrong, so different threat actor name. I, I get it, but it's just, I don't know. I wish that there was like APT41 dash um, Cozy Bear, or uh, Deep Panda, APT41 slash Winty, right? Like like some, some way to couple them, you know what I mean? <clears throat> For Montana, you think they're gonna find people or jail them? Fine if crazy you think going to jail for tiktok yeah no they won't jail them and in the story it says that they're not going to find individuals they're going to find businesses so i don't even understand how they're going to enforce it it seems dumb nate weisen says thanks for suggesting the midnight oh ghost in your stereo dude los angeles single-handedly the best song which says a lot for the midnight the, the, the like oh my god the midnight so freaking good so good uh, there's a couple, hey, Nate Wisen, there's a couple like deep cuts too that you can't get on like their mainstream albums. Um, they did one with a like a Japanese group um, that's really good. Um, uh, oh, maybe it's not Japanese, Korean maybe. Um, Oh, whatever. I can't find it right now. But anyways, that's good. Um, it's just so good. All right. APT41, Drop Bear, Wicked Panda. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Deep Panda. Um, see, I, we even get it wrong and like we work in this space. Black Cat's genuinely scary. They're very good at breaking things. Absolutely. Casually, Joseph. Nocturnal's good. Um, collateral um, is another one. Like I actually stretch when I work out, like when I go run, I, I like stretch to collateral little tidbits, Tuesday, double, double shot of tidbits, Tuesday. Um, Oh my God. Fire in the sky, Hawkeyes, vampires, memories, sunset, dude, I'm going to get, I am going to get. So if you are a really OG person, you know that we did a tattoo episode which is still on this channel. And uh, I have multiple tattoos, which a lot of people are surprised to find out. But I am so close to getting, um, everything's everything, everything's clear in the rear view mirror, which to me just resonates on so many levels, tattooed on my inner forearm. 
Hey, thanks, 1991, Rusher. Love having you, man. Yep, multiple back tattoos. Jerry, having had so much experience in the industry, do you have any advice on imposter syndrome and the ever-growing amount of knowledge required in the industry? Yeah, so imposter syndrome is a real thing, um, and you never get over it, guys. Like, I'm giving a talk in front of 150 very senior people on Thursday this week, and, you know, like, you, I just am prepared for it. I'm sure I'm going to have a little butterflies and stuff when I do it, but I'm just going to lean into it. The, the thing I could say with imposter syndrome is just don't ever, don't ever, um, I guess like fake it. You know what I mean? Like just be real about what you know and what you don't know and know that when you're in a position that you're there because you've earned it, you deserve to be there, right? Like for example, Android malware. I am not in any way an expert on Android malware. I mean, I understand malware conceptually and I understand what threat actors objectives are with malware and likely what the malware is trying to do, but the actual inner workings of what library and function calls it's doing within the Android operating system, I can't begin to speak to that. I cannot begin to, um, with any level of efficiency, do malware analysis on an APK file. I could probably figure it out. But I mean, if you guys see me on um, the Haiku live streams, you know, yesterday I didn't know how to make a PHP web shell. I got some help from it, but just be, be confident in what you, here's my thing. Instead of being an imposter on what you don't know, be confident in what you do know and just know that cybersecurity, you've got to be a lifelong learner. There's, it's very, you're never going to learn at all, right? So just, you know, go for it and just know that everybody else is, is, is kind of like you, right? So Plus, there's this uh, Derning, what is it, Denning Cougar effect or Denning Kruger effect? Um, if you've ever heard of the Dunning, Dunning Kruger effect, this is interesting. So, this is the idea where people who are more confident at their job are more likely to feel imposter syndrome because they actually know what they don't know, whereas people who are new don't know what they don't know and they have this false sense of confidence because they don't know what they don't know. It's a very interesting um, situation. So uh, ch check that out. But just know, dude, imposter syndrome, here's my thing. It's not going to go anywhere. Lean into it. Embrace it. It, it sucks. It feels, it feels, you know, awkward. Uh, but just do the right things. Just do the right things, man. Lean into it. Network with people. Be confident in what you know. Ask questions about what you don't know. Surround yourself with good people. That's all you got to do. Yep. Kimberly's can fix it's up in here. Love it. Love it. Love it. Local Ken with the, with the ghost. I love it. No problem. Akil George. Great brief today. Thank you, Amelia Garcia. I've been loving it. I've been loving uh, a lot of people. We're getting more people in here. We're helping more people. We're crushing it. I love it. Massive family man and main parental career to an autistic child breaking in the industry. Should I assume to spend less time with the family? Um, so just a bite. I would say not spend less time with the family, but just, I mean, as sad as it sounds and this, again, this might be something not for everyone. Like it's almost like where your hobbies and your interests and stuff like I like to run. I don't do any cybersecurity while I'm running, but cybersecurity, knowledge, learning, even being on this briefing, networking, staying after for the jaw jacking, it almost becomes part of your like lifestyle. Um, so you don't have to cut out, you know, being a parent, right? But at the same time, you know, there, there's opportunities, right? Like you could learn up on how threat actors abuse Roblox and then talk to your kids about it, right? For, for example, like that's a way to kind of like overlap the two. Uh, but it is, it is a lot of work, guys. I, I, I I made a video or I answered someone's question. I, I don't remember. I just did it yesterday, but like there's no easy button. It's the hardest thing about InfoSec is that there's no easy button. All of the all of the opportunity is laid out in front of you. Many of it is free, right? So it's not a question of resources or opportunity. It's really a question of applying yourself and being vigilant. And it's hard. And, it, and for some people, it, 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 it grinds you down to a nub and... But that, you know, that's just, it's the truth.
Yep, exactly. Remember you, why, Joel? How do I connect with other InfoSec people in Reno, Nevada? While Greg does stuff, go to the Simply Cyber Community Challenge, right? And just put like, hey, anybody up in Reno? Or even say it in here, go on Discord, the Simply Cyber Discord server, drop it in general chat, say, hey, what's up? Google Reno, Nevada B-Sides Conference. That's what I would do. Look, yeah, Marcus says, look, uh, use Meetup. That'd be a good one. Lisa Fox is in the house. What's up, Lisa? Yeah, work hard, play hard. Yeah, there's just no easy button. That's why boot camps are such a because boot camps sell you on this idea that for like fifteen thousand dollars in two weeks of your time, you can be there. It's like no, <laughs> nope. All right. What about your update for the course you were working on? Oh, thanks, Stormwalking. Um, yeah, so Cyber 101 course, I'm working on it right now. I have been in contact with a college in the Northeast, and we're moving forward with all the paperwork and stuff like that. I'm actually going to be developing the Cyber 101 course as a full college course curriculum for them. And I've worked it out where they're going to pay me um, to develop it, but I retain the intellectual property. Uh, and any student that goes to that school can take the course for free. Um, because they've effectively paid for it, but I own the intellectual property, which means I will put it on Simply Cyber School as a course, just like the GRC course that people can get access to. Uh, it'll be priced very reasonably. And the best part is because of the college, and because I'm going through the college, the goal is it has to, uh, it has to meet a standard commensurate with college credits. I don't know how many credits it's going to be yet, but as part of the deal, I said, "Hey, I want. I'm gonna. I'm gonna sell this to other people. I want them to be able to use for college credits. Can you help me get this certified or accredited in some way that if someone wanted to use it for college credits, they could?" And they said, "Absolutely. We would love to help you with that." So not only is the course Cyber 101 gonna be worth CPEs, and probably a lot because it's a full college course, a lot of CPEs, but you will be able to use that you completed the course to transfer credits into a um, bachelor's program if you want, or I assume a bachelor's program, maybe an associate's degree. I don't know. We're still working through that, but it's going to be worth college credits. So feel that. I'm super pumped to be working with them. Yeah, budget coast. Here you go. You have to put an HTTPS in front of that, but yeah. Oh, thanks, Kimberly. I'm a gray beard. I type things in manually. So stay tuned for that. I'm putting the course together. It's the, all the slides are done, and now I'm rec I'm recording it. It just takes time. Yeah, Brady McNulty, cool. That's a good idea. WGU for sure. I might even so. The way I, that it's been explained to me is like you would I'm putting a package together. You would have to take the package, fill in a couple blanks, and then you could deliver that to any school. What I might do is use um, work with WGU actually and do that work myself just to demonstrate exactly how you would do it. That's a great point, Brady. Thank you. Although I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how keen WGU would want to be on transfer credits. Right. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. Oh, yeah. Uh, practical ethical hacking is free right now. There you go. Zero dollars right now. Free. Giddy up on that. I won't even drop my affiliate code. <laughs> Very cool, Ashley. All right, guys. I got a boogie out of here. I got a... HVAC person and an electrician coming all for the mainframe. Thanks for suit of bliss. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. I wish you all the very best. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. I'm Jerry. This is simply cyber. We'll see you Wednesday at 8 AM for worldwide Wednesday. So show up for that until next time. Stay safe. Stay secure.